All right, here's what I need you to do. Some of you were upset last week because you didn't win at our trivia game we did. Some of you weren't here last week, so you don't really care. Tonight, you get a second chance. So I need you to be in the groups of two or three people, all right? Four or five if you just can't divide yourself up among people. And we're going to play another one. Now, here's the good thing for you that were here last week, that were having those hard, tough, true or false decisions. The only 50-50 chance. This week, it is multiple choice. All right? So there's less than a 50% chance, all right? We're going to do one called Odd Numbers, and it will have a point when we get there, but if you've got something you can write some answers down on, if you don't, uh, find something. We're going to look together at some questions, and here's the thing. Who knew all those observed little stats you've been keeping track of would ever come in handy? Have at it, your numbers freak. Your whole team is counting on it. So, this is the sample question, all right? On average, a person laughs about, anybody got a guess? 15 times a day. Listen to that. That does not count as a right answer, all right? That's the sample. So now we're going to go through these, write them down as we go, because we don't do the answers right after, unless you just have an elephant memory, or you really want to cheat and just say you got it right when we come back around. All right, so here's number one. It is estimated... That on average, during a lifetime, an American man will spend about how many hours shaving? 3.5, 350, or 3,500 shaving. All right, write that answer down. Y'all talk about it as a team. Give you a couple of seconds to kind of think through that. Shaving. Shaving. All right, here we go. Scalp hair. This is on a normal human being. Because some of your scalp hair is not grown anymore at all. Scalp hair grows about how many inches per year? 1.6, 6, or 16? Don't Just write it down. Here we go. Number three. Most of us have between blank and blank hairs on our heads. I'm really not trying to make those of you that don't have hair feel bad. I'm just, just the questions that are there. Most of us have between 10,000 and 15,000, 100,000 and 150,000, or 1 million and 1.5 million. All right. The average person falls asleep in how many minutes? Two minutes, seven minutes, or 14 minutes? Do not count when he sits down in the recliner. My gramps could go to sleep in about half a second when he sat in that recliner. His old green upholstered recliner. Number five. The lifespan of a taste bud is 10 years, oh, excuse me, 10 days, 10 years, or 80 years. The lifespan of a taste bud. 10 days, 10 years, 80 years. Number six. 
What percent of Americans have visited Disneyland and or Disney World? One of the two they have been. 50%, 70%, 90%. First of all, before you even answer that question, how smart is Walt Disney? Because what's the lowest number there? Half. You know how much it costs to go to those places? It set me back about five years of retirement. Percent of Americans have visited Disneyland or Disney World. 50, 70, 90. Number seven. Children don't develop kneecaps until they are between the ages of one and four months old, 12 and 18 months old, two and six years old. They don't develop kneecaps until when? One and four months, 12 and 18 months, two and six years. What percentage of the world's population is left-handed? 10, 20, or 30? One in 10, one in five, or almost one in three? Number nine. When offered a new pen to test, what percent of all people write their own name? 25%, 57%, or 97%? Number 10, the average person walks the equivalent of how many times around the world in a lifetime? 2, 20, or 200? Some of you are looking like you're disappointed. I'm not giving you easy questions. What do you, it's trivia. Come on. These are odd numbers, weird, unique. Answers. Y'all ready for the answers? All right, grade yourself, all right? We will have winners, and for the winners, there are magnificent nothing. All right, so it's estimated an average American man will spend about 3,500 hours shaving. That's a lot of time shaving. Some of us have just decided to stop. Scalp hair grows about... Six inches a year. B. Number three. Most of us have between B. 100,000 and 150,000 hairs on our head. Only God knows how many you have. The average person falls asleep in seven minutes. B. This is not Dr. Oz's quiz. That might go to the credibility of Dr. Oz. The lifespan of a taste bud is 10 days. You just come back. You think about how many you burned off. You don't have to worry about that. There's another one coming real soon. Right? What percentage of Americans have visited Disneyland or Disney World? B. 70. Isn't that amazing? Seven out of every ten. How many of you have ever been to Disneyland or Disney World? We're about average. Look at us. All right, number seven. 
At what ages do children develop kneecaps? How many of you knew right away they were born without them? Yeah. It is C. Between two and six years old. Apparently. Yeah. They just don't, they don't form that hard. Ava right now, she doesn't have a hard kneecap. Maddie's, I, I don't know if Maddie does or not. The boys do. What percentage of the world's population is left-handed? How many of you are left-handed? Well, we are not the average. 10% of the world's population. That is about average. When offered a new pen to test, what percent of all people write their own name? If you want to think whether or not we're self-centered. 97% what they write is their own name. You, but then you, the first thing you write, you're going to, most of you are going to test out your name. If you don't, that means you're just contrarian in life. Number 10. The average person walks the equivalent of how many times around the world? Two. A. Two. Anybody know how many miles that is? 48,000 or so. Yeah, 50,000. All right. Anybody get all ten correct? Nine? Eight? Whoop! The Shirley's in the back. They walked in late. Seven? Six? Five? Four? Three? Two, one, go. <laughs> hey, well, here you go. Here's a tiebreaker just to end it, all right? It takes the interaction of how many different muscles to produce human speech. We don't have a tie because the Shirleys are our champions this week, but it is C, 72, all right? So, Matthew chapter 7. Here, let me ask you a question, okay? What good does that knowledge do you that we just got? Made us laugh? Bragging rights? Was there any useful information in there? Not really. I mean, you know, I mean, maybe it's interesting but not necessarily useful. Jesus is going to talk at the end of the Sermon on the Mount about people that find information from Scripture interesting, but not useful. Jesus is finishing up. And when I was in seminary, my preaching professor used to tell us that the most important part of the sermon is the part you're on at the moment. But the thing you've got to do and learn to do is how to land the plane. Now, I'm not going to ask for examples because there, in my six years here, there are plenty of examples of times when I have. But have you ever heard a preacher that just couldn't land the plane? And finally, in conclusion, one more point. I forgot something. To reiterate, once again, and you just feel like you're 
circling. So, you know, um, two or three times ago when we went to Brazil, we uh, got off in Miami, and a little bit of our group kind of got diverted at the luggage part, and we had a tight window to make it, and uh, the Brooks family and myself did not make our connecting flight from Miami to Nashville. Now, we weren't real late. In fact, we were at the gate when they said we were supposed to be at the gate, but they had already shut the door, and we could see them. It was one of those you had to get on a bus and drive out to it. We could see them moving away. We're like, just stop the bus. Well, that is against federal law. So we had to be diverted. They didn't have a direct flight till 9 o'clock that night or so, and so we had to go to Washington, we had to go to Dulles, and then we had to come here. And this is what I remember. By this time, I've been gone. We, it was a long trip. We were 15 days. I was ready to see my family. Susan had been with three kids for 15 days. She was ready for Daddy to change diapers and to, here's the baby and all that. This was the particular trip where um, uh, just chaos had ensued on a day or two at the house. And as we're flying back into Nashville, I see lightning around where you can see the lights. And to make the matters worse, we started circling. And I thought, just land the plane. Right? We went to Brazil this year. We flew in. We've been on the flight seven and a half hours. And we get to where we're going. We see Sao Paulo. We see it. And then, I, you know, in those long flights... I don't know if you've been on one. They have a map of where the plane is and where you're going and estimated time and all that. And I see our plane just starts making little circles. And after a while, they come on and they tell us that we have a new destination. Of course, they're saying all this in Portuguese, so all I hear is Rio de Janeiro. We're not supposed to fly to Rio de Janeiro. And we circled there, went to Rio, circled there, and we were just like, just land the plane. What we see at the end of the Sermon on the Mount is Jesus knows how to land the plane. It wouldn't surprise us. It's the greatest sermon, I believe, that's ever been preached. And as we get to the end of it, we see a conclusion that is convicting and yet wraps up what he's been describing. If you remember from the very beginning, those of you that were with us all the way from the very beginning, some of you here, this is the first time you've been here, but we've been marching through Matthew 5, 6, and 7 from the beginning at the Sermon on the Mount when Jesus starts off with who we ought to be. And it's all about internal stuff affecting our outward actions. And then he starts talking about it. If you're a follower of mine, there's going to be lots of times when you're going to be doing things without everybody else seeing for the purpose of everybody seeing. You're just doing it because of devotion and a, the time that you want to be with the Lord. And in Matthew chapter 7, he has started to talk about don't judge people by what you see, but ask yourself the question about you. Make sure that you are entering through the proper gate, not the one everyone else is going through, but the one that is constricting and narrow. Watch out for those false teachers because they'll come and they'll be in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious, ravaging wolves. And then in verse 21, Jesus utters what I think is one of the most kind of frightening descriptions, verses in all the Bible. Verse 21 says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but 
Only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And your name drive out demons and perform many miracles. Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against the house. Yet it did not fall, because it had as its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. Verse 21 again. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father. This theme that has been prevalent from the true and false teachers, from the tree that gives good fruit and the tree that gives bad fruit, from the narrow and the wide gate, continues and he says, listen, the reality is not everybody who thinks they're going to heaven, not everyone who thinks they're okay is, in fact, okay. Many will say to me on that day. Now, I don't know how many, many is, but it's not few. It's not a little. It's not a couple. It's many. Jesus, didn't we prophesy in your name? Didn't we cast out demons? Didn't we heal? Didn't we do things? And I'll say to them, apart from me, I never knew you. You know, sadly, it's quite easy to kind of play the game of being an evangelical, born-again Christian in our culture. That may not be the case 20 years from now. That may not be the case 30 years from now. It may not be the case 5 years from now. But in the past 20, 30 years, it's been pretty easy to make people think that you are a believer, a follower of Jesus. You work on your vocabulary a little bit. So you, you get some theological words down. So let's talk about fellowship and call everybody brother. Talk about being born again in Jesus. Sanctification. You get some words there. Then you start looking at how people act. You say, I can do that. I'll, I'll dress like them. and I won't drink and I won't smoke and um, I, I won't say words that, that, that I don't need to say. And being an evangelical Christian recently hadn't even mean, meant being that different than the society. So you do those kind of things, but you can still indulge your materialism and pleasure-seeking entertainment and economics and fat. You just put a fish on it or a Christian Bible verse and say, there I am. And if you've got the right heritage, that well, that makes it really easy. If your parents grew up in church and you go to church, your whole family goes to church and you walk down an aisle and you got dunked in the water, been a part of the youth group, you went on trips, it's easy to kind of let people think well, that's where you are. What scares me as a pastor, what scares me as an American follower of Jesus Christ is 
that it has become so easy that I'm afraid we have many, many people in our churches on a weekly basis who think they are perfectly okay and who, when they get to heaven, is going to hear, I never even knew you. John Newton. Anybody know who John Newton is? He wrote a pretty famous song, right? Amazing Grace, How Sweet the Sound. This is what he said. He said, if I ever reach heaven, I expect to find three wonders there. First, to meet some people I had never thought would be there. Second, to miss some that I thought I would. And third, the greatest wonder of all, to find myself there. Remember that biblical lifestyle is a good way to live. Families, sometimes if they just go to church and they follow what it is, you know, there, there are preachers even, and I'm not, I'm not saying this is a bad thing, but sometimes there are preachers even that will say, listen, if you're not a follower of Jesus, if you're not somebody that's following after Him, that's okay. Put these principles in practice and it'll work anyways. Treat your wife with respect. Treat your husband with respect. Love your, keep your vows. Love your children. Discipline them. Don't just always say you can have whatever you want to. Save money, spend money, give money. Don't live a crazy, wild life. Focus on family. Find a good community to be a part of. I mean, all those are things that actually help lifestyle. And so it's easy to kind of get sucked into that. In fact, um, I, I saw this interesting thing the other day. There's a, there's a YouTube viral sensation about a pastor that quit his job as a pastor and became a financial consultant. And all he said he did was he just taught the Bible as a financial consultant and then he showed how some of the richest men that have ever lived just followed biblical principles. So it works. So there are people that can find it works, but that doesn't mean that they're followers of Jesus. Not everyone who says to me on that day, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Many, it says, will say, we prophesy in your name. We perform miracles in your name. Jesus says, I will tell them plainly, plainly, that I never knew you. Here are a couple of things that we see in this passage of Scripture as Jesus lands the plane with a difficult teaching. First of all, religious lip service is not enough. Just saying the right things is not enough. I notice what they say. First of all, there are several good things about what they say. John Stott, who is a great scholar, said that you see four things in here that say this is a good address. First of all, it's polite. They address him as Lord. Even today, if you walked up to somebody and said, Lord or Master or Sir. When I was growing up, there are very few things in life that would get me in trouble faster than not saying Ma'am or Sir to someone that was older than me. This is a... More reverential, sir or ma'am, Lord. Second, it's a confession of orthodox. The word Lord can mean sir, but it also has a divine title. The context is with allusion to God as Christ's Father, and Christ as judge demands that we see that He is a God. It's fervent. Lord, Lord, when you repeat something in the Scriptures, it means that they are saying it with enthusiasm, with, with vigor, with fervency, enthusiasm and seal. And it's public. From what we can tell, they didn't make a private confession somewhere. They did it in public in the name of Christ. It's a model confession, a beautiful one. So what's wrong with it? Here's what we find out. 
Correct, orthodox belief does not guarantee eternal life. Now, let me say something. I think it's essential to eternal life, but it doesn't guarantee eternal life. I don't think you can get there in a relationship with Jesus without believing the right things, but just believing isn't enough. Just saying I mentally assent to that truth is not enough. You know how I know that for sure? Because in the book of James, what does it say? Even the demons believe and tremble. So just having that belief, I mean, correct orthodox belief doesn't give us eternal life. It is necessary. Remember Romans 10, 9 and 10. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. Believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. You will be saved. It's with your heart that you believe and are justified. With your mouth that you confess it. A man who refuses to say, Lord, Lord, will never enter the kingdom. All true Christians say, Lord, Lord. But not all who say it are believers. Someone has said, intellectual orthodoxy or correct belief does not indicate saving faith. You can be absolutely correct in your belief about Christ's nature and person, His atonement, His resurrection, His return. You can even fall against heretics and not be saved. Sometimes in our reasonableness, our reasoning, our American Western mindset, we think it's enough just to have all the theology and doctrine correct. But it's more than that. Even saying Orthodox things, correct things, with fervency, doesn't make it right. Here's what's amazing to me about this. Is again, we, we talked about this Sunday with the, the Pharisee. If you look at what they say they did, we would say these people are model Christians. They proclaim Jesus as Lord. They prophesy in His name. They heal. They cast out demons. From the outside, what does it appear? Everything is great. But obviously something is missing. Jesus says that orthodox zeal, spectacular displays of spiritual power, power do not prove anything. Part of the reason is, He gives at the end, I never knew you away from me, you evildoers. Jesus gives a parallel to a place where it says they practice lawlessness. That he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter the kingdom of heaven. Multitudes of religious people, evangelicals included, are lost because they don't do God's will. So what is he talking about here? Is he talking about a salvation by works? No. In the context of the Sermon on the Mount, we have to remember the sermon he has just preached. Jesus is referring to the Beatitudes and the deep, ethical, spiritual obedience found in God's kingdom. The will of my Father refers to God's will as Jesus has revealed it as he has just preached. Jesus is profound. Is talking about a profound heart obedience that permeates our inner being and transforms us from the inside out. So all of us have to look below the surface. We have to dive deep into our hearts and our souls and ask difficult questions. In fact, one of the ways you can be assured that you need to think about this is if you don't want to think about it. If you're opposed to self-examination or you just, right now you're just like, I just wish he'd move on. Let's don't talk about it. Let's keep going. Let's get to the happy stuff. Scripture over and over talks about testing ourselves. Um, 
examining ourselves. One of the things that we see from this passage is that our salvation is not dependent upon a one-time proclamation. The book by David Platt called Follow Me, he tells the story of a guy named John. And John said that he was watching Tom and Jerry one day. How many of you remember Tom and Jerry? You know it would never get past the ratings board today because they knock each other out and electrocute each other, put anvils on each other. It's a very violent cartoon. One of the, and this is another reason, one of the cartoons he watched during a particularly vivid scene, Tom the cat is sent to hell for something he did to Jerry. Can you imagine that in today's cartoons? What was intended to be a humorous cartoon scared John to death. He found himself at a church and he was talking to an older man. And the church man looked at John and says, well, you don't want to go to hell, do you? And he says, no. He said, okay, then just pray this prayer after me. That's all you got to do. John paused after an awkward silence. He realized he was supposed to say whatever this man was saying. So he responded, dear Jesus. I know I'm a sinner. I know Jesus died on the cross for my sin. John followed suit with the man. I ask you to come into my heart and save me. Again, John echoed what he heard. Amen, amen. And he looked at him and said, Son, you are saved from your sins. You don't ever have to worry about hell again. Now, I don't think that man meant anything but good that day. But John didn't have a clue what he was doing. John came to David Platt's church later and says, I didn't know what that was about. I was just saying some words. If a word saved you, I'd walk down the street and hand people a card and say, just read this to me real quick. And if they could read it, they're done. Right? Words don't do it. I'm not saying anything against... Y'all going to walk out of here and say, Pastor said the sinner's prayer is not good. People that pray don't go to heaven. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, if that's all that it ever is, then it's not real you know when you're when you when you're baptist you get certain questions from people that aren't any of you baptist in here okay when you grow up when you're a baptist pastor you get certain questions that other people that aren't just want to ask you and and, you know you get all kinds of questions why don't y'all drink why don't y'all believe in that why don't y'all dance you know i just don't know well my my kids do i hope that's all right Bible says dance, then I think we we can dance. All right? Y'all can go out there and tell people I said that. All right? It's in the book. Psalm 150. All right? But the question I get a lot is, you believe that once saved, always saved stuff, don't you? I do. I do. Well, what about? And then they give me an example of someone who was saved and then lived the rest of their life just completely away from the will of God. Then I say, well, how do you know they were saved? Well, they walked down an aisle. I don't see that anywhere in Scripture. Do you? Can somebody quote me a verse? Ye all that walketh down an aisle. It's not there. Well, they got baptized. Well, that's great. I'm glad they went in the water. What well, was their heart changed before that? I, I firmly believe 
that once Jesus Christ has rescued you, once you have accepted His free gift of salvation, that there is nothing that can be done to pluck you out of the Father's hand. But I also believe there are a whole lot of people that have walked the aisle, said a prayer, did some service, taught a Sunday school class, that don't have a lick of knowledge of what it means to follow Jesus. Jesus says someday, they're going to get to heaven, they're going to say, but Jesus, I taught Sunday school for 20 years. But Jesus... When I was eight years old at my grandmama's church, I walked down the aisle and I told the preacher I wanted to be saved and he dunked me in some water. But Jesus, I brought a meal every time we had a fellowship and everybody liked it. Didn't give people food poisoning once. Jesus is going to say, depart from me. You know why this doesn't resonate with us sometimes? is because most of even believers and especially people that aren't believers right now aren't going out casting demons out. Healing people with their hands or prophesying. But when you take it and you put it in modern vernacular, I sat in the church. I had great attendance. I didn't miss more than five or six times a month. I'm joking. Five or six times a year, right? I can count on one hand how many times I missed in a year. And when I could be there, I was there. And I took my kids every time. And we went to all the programs. Then we went to camps. And we went on trips. And we went to meetings. I served as a deacon. I served on the missions committee. I served on the baptism committee. Depart from me. I never knew you. Here's what I want you to get the sense of. I get the sense that intended in that depart from me, I never knew you, are two emotions. One is a bit of sadness from Jesus' heart. I wish I did. I wish you'd come to me. I wish in doing all those things you had first sought me instead of that. But also since resolution is done. When we refuse to examine our own lives, when we choose to live on activities and memberships, when we give undue attention to organizations and denominations and to movements or inappropriate attention to the social aspects of the gospel or the political understanding of the gospel or the apologetics or just prophecy or just theology or only grace or only law, when we get our own off on our own thing and we're not balanced in following Jesus, then we need to examine ourselves. Well, how do you know? And how do you know? Jesus says, your life is like these two men. You're building on some foundation. And one guy built on solid rock. And the other built on shifting sand. Have you all seen that video of that sinkhole that's opening up in Louisiana? you all see that? It's on the evening show. There was... The trees just collapsing. If I'd thought about it before right now, we'd watch it together. But I, I didn't think about it. We were watching it and Eli says to me, he goes, Dad, I guess that's what Jesus is talking about with building on sand. It just collapses. What's the difference between the two? What does he say in the parable is the difference between the two? They both hear, 
They both have the same intention. They build a house. But what's the difference? One hears and puts into practice. The other just hears. To one, it is interesting facts. And to the other, it is a life-changing truth. Jesus is at a time when people have perfected outward spirituality, appearing to be righteous. And so when the Sermon on the Mount, from the Beatitudes to here, He is telling them, it doesn't matter what you look like on the outside if the inside isn't fixed. It doesn't matter what the outward actions are if the internal stuff isn't settled. And so when He gets to land the plane, He says, and if you haven't got the inner stuff settled, and you don't get it settled, destruction is coming. And when he finishes with, and it fell with a mega great crash, and he walks off the stage, the people are amazed. So when you get to the end of the Sermon on the Mount, And you realize that Jesus sets this standard for us that's not ideal in the way that we can't attain it. It is the standard by which we are to be measured and it is the entire Sermon on the Mount. You ask the question, do I have this internal stuff figured out? Do I have it settled? Do I have a relationship with Jesus Christ? Not just a set of code and conduct I'm following. It's the most important thing you can ever settle in the world. Let's pray.